The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. The assembly may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God our Creator and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. As a former philosophy major, I like to ponder all of life's greatest questions. It's what I do in my free time. You may think I'm daydreaming. Oh, no, no. I'm pondering big questions, right? <laughs> the problem of evil in the world. How is it possible that evil exists with a loving and benevolent creator as the one we profess our faith in? Or what happens when we die? Or why? is the Moldorama the perfect souvenir for any occasion? <laughs> and who gets to decide which animal or which installation is worthy of being immortalized in that smelly plastic? And why has inflation hit the Moldorama market so hard? Five dollars a piece? I don't got Moldorama money anymore. And it's hard. But you see, I think about these things in my free time. It's what keeps me up at night, to be honest. But it's the one about life and death that perhaps, at least professionally, is most profound for me, I've found. I, I dwell in that reality more often than I like to think. The best advice I received when I was going through my seminary experience was to always introduce yourself to your local funeral home director. First person you should meet in town is the funeral home director. And it was easy at my first call because we shared a lawn with the local funeral home. So there I am, myself, my longtime friend, Matt Baskerville of Reeves Baskerville Funeral Home, are still personal and professional friends to this day because of the friendship we struck up with each other. See, I dwell in these realities all the time. Every week I preside at the table where I speak to you the very last words of Jesus, the words at the Last Supper that he was sharing as he himself prepared to die. This last week, I walked with not one but two families who recently lost loved ones as we make preparations for services celebrating the lives of their loved ones in the next handful of weeks. So, while you may be looking at a professional when it comes to life and death, I'm going to tell you right now, my biblical exegesis will not reveal for you the mysteries of what happens when we die, because of course, if I knew that, I wouldn't be here. I'd be touring my book and making that Moldorama money I can't otherwise make here. 
see that's not the purpose of our day today, but today is a space and opportunity for us to recall those who have walked before us in this life to grieve at those who we mourn the loss of, to celebrate the fact that we were gifted with time on this earth with them in the first place. Or maybe we shed tears for both of those realities at once. Regardless, our reading out of Revelation reminds us that God comes and wipes every tear from our eyes. The imagery in Revelation is some of my all-time faith. We're actually glimpsing in on this vision that John of Patmos has as he shares with us a worship service with countless multitudes, with countless nations, all gathering together to worship, to worship God. And at the center of it all is a lamb. But it's not just any kind of a lamb. In the Greek, the word is arna, and that word translates to baby lamb or little lamb, like the one that Mary had, or my favorite, the word lambkin. That's one of the words that they used in, in one, of my, uh, one of my books I read for the sermon this week. I love that. A little lambkin, unexpected. This little baby lamb is at the center of it all, but, but more unexpected are just what this lamb has experienced. In the chapters before, this lamb is slain and yet still standing. Today, this lamb's Blood is being used to wash white the robes of the gathered worshiping community. And as someone responsible for keeping his own robe nice and white, I would not recommend lamb's blood for that. Because I'm going to be honest, Joel, I know you don't want to buy a new washer for pastors. So I'm going to just stick with OxyClean for now. But this is the paradox, right? This is what we're seeing. There's something intense going on here. And in the middle of it is this lamb, powerful and mighty, but not through ferocity, but instead power and might found in meekness and in love. This is a victorious conqueror, we are told, but it's not through violence and bloodshed, but instead through nonviolence. The only bloodshed in this entire scene is that of the lamb itself. Lamb at the center of this worship is providing all that we need, life's essentials, food, water, and shelter. This lamb is providing guidance to the very waters of eternal life, that which is essential for what is yet still to come. These images seem so otherworldly. They seem so out of place. Yet they're at the center of this worship in this place today. And I'm not saying that this is what heaven looks like. I'm not saying that this is where we go when we die. But what I am saying is that we have to look at this scene and be reminded that the kingdom of heaven is already like. The kingdom of heaven is a place of radical inclusion among all nations. It's a place of divine providence where everything we need has already been given. It is a place filled with promise where we have been assured victory through the work of the Lamb, the Paschal Lamb, who has died for us on the cross. Like I said, I don't know what happens when we die. 
wish I could tell you that, but instead perhaps today we worry less about what happens when we die and focus instead on how it is we are to live in the meantime. And if we look to this lamb, if we look to, to Matthew's gospel for inspiration, we don't have to look very far. We are called to be those that are blessed, to seek paths of peace and nonviolence in a world proliferated by war, whether it be war in Ukraine or in Gaza or even in our own communities. We are called to trust in God, that God provides for us all that we need, or what we like to call in the business, our daily bread that God provides for us living waters that sustain us eternally. We are called to leave behind fears of that which lies ahead because already our future has been secured in the Lamb who is slain, whose blood set us free, that we know where we are going even if we have no idea of the way. Every time you see we read these texts, I cannot help but focus on that idea, your reward will be great in heaven. And when I read that oftentimes, I think that sounds great for future me, right? My reward in heaven is going to be great, but what about now? Well, the promise of that heavenly reward is already being experienced now. In the waters of baptism, we have already drank the waters of eternal life. We have been quenched in our thirst for the very Spirit of God. As we hunger for righteousness, we come to this table and we share in the bread and the wine, the body and the blood of Christ's righteousness, a gift for all people, that all people may know they are loved and they are forgiven. And the beauty of this day of all saints is that the name says it all. The gospel, the good news is in the title itself, All Saints. Because we are all already saints in this moment. We have already been named and claimed as Christ's own child in this moment. Nothing we have done or will do could possibly change that reality for us. Even today when we gather together to mourn the loss of the saints who've walked before us into that heavenly kingdom. That, my friends, is the most difficult part for me. It's that reality that today we mourn the loss, like I said, 15 people. They're in this community, loved by this community. 15 people just this last Year. What I've also realized is that as I look at these names, I know who these people are. I was there when they were taking their last breaths or, or, or when family came together to hold vigil, to say goodbye, praying that maybe one day they'd be reunited again. I was there to laugh with them and to share with them in ministry in their lives. That's, that's kind of the hard part these aren't just names. These are people whose light was shown and shared by me. And now I am tasked with being reminded that they're no more on this earth. And that's really hard. Because you see, as pastor, I have the privilege of walking and entering into those spaces of deep grief. But what I've come to realize is 
even as the professional in the room, I need to grieve. I can't tell you how hard it is to come home after saying goodbye to a person who I've come to know and to love, or to talk to a family sharing their loved one with me, and to just go home and pretend like it doesn't hurt, or it doesn't matter. It's really hard. This is the hardest thing I do as a pastor, and I wouldn't have it any other way. I love that I can look around those spaces, and more often than not, I'm overwhelmed with one reality that hits me every time. More often than not, I'm the only person who's not related in the room. I am the stranger in the room, and yet I get the floor. I am the only person who's not a blood relative, and yet I am looked to to come up with the right words to encourage and to provide hope even in the darkest moments. That is a profound gift and trust that you have in your pastor and that you have with each other. I say it all the time. Give me a good funeral over a good wedding any day of the week. Weddings are too much drama. A good funeral brings us together. It provides hope and comfort and reassurance. That, I think, is what today is all about. And when I'm really struggling, and when I, when I go home and I sit down and I try to process what I just experienced earlier in the day, or when I try to wrap my mind around the fact that this person, this is the last time I'm going to talk to them in this life, I'm reminded of Revelation. I'm reminded of these very texts. I'm reminded that our God is so close to us, that our God stoops down to wipe the very tears from our eyes like my parents did for me when I was a child children of God, we are all worthy of God's attention. We are all blessed with the God who cares so much for us that God stoops and wipes the very tears from our eyes. So this day, whether they be tears of joy and the life that we've shared or tears of grief for a little bit of love, I invite you to hear that promise once more that your God has promised you eternal life, and that in the meantime, as we grieve those we lose in this life, your tears will be wiped away, your cheeks made clean, and you loved as the child of God you were always created to be. Thanks be to God. Amen.